Thank you for listening to Eclipse Epics. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 16, More Reforms. In the previous episode, we introduced the commander of the newly minted Northwest Front and some of his reforms. This week, we are going to see those reforms finished and bring the Red Army in Finland to the demonstration operations of February 1st. Reconnaissance saw a resurgence in emphasis during the period between the creation of Northwest Front and the demonstrations. This was so much so that divisional artillery units covered patrols, which was unheard of in November. What's interesting, and a bloody, I mean literally bloody, irony, is that after the war, the Soviet Union formed a committee to figure out what happened. And of course, I mean assign the fall guy. This fall guy was the Chief Directorate of Intelligence. But Proskurov, in these fact-finding meetings, refused to go quietly into that dark, cold night. He testified that, by October 1939, the intelligence service knew how formidable the Mannerheim line was and how many men Finland would bear to its defense. But alas, no amount of testimony, logic, facts, or reason would stop Stalin from pinning a tail on someone. So, Proskurov was later arrested, tried, and put in front of a firing squad. I say all that to say the intelligence did not get to the Red Army fighting in Finland for whatever reasons. And I do have my suspicions. For example, the intelligence contradicted the idea that the invasion would be over quickly. Regardless of the veracity of the Red Army's overall intelligence, Chemershenko saw that its frontline reconnaissance was either non-existent or ineffective. The solution was a three-tiered approach to reconnaissance, meaning patrols were split into three. The first group was called the holding group, where it would extend out to the furthest possible point and get as much data about that point as possible. To take attention away from the actual information gathering, another group would distract the Finns by using armor to attack and fake retreat, otherwise known as a feigned flight. This group is referred to by Carl van Dyck as the diversion group. Finally, the group that covered both previous mentioned by putting fire onto Finnish fortifications was called the cover group. Now that Tamoshenko had recovered the near site of his northwest front, he had to figure out how to break through the Finns' defenses. In the terms of the hard reality of breakthrough, this meant an increased focus on engineers, artillery, and communication. The engineers' main role was to construct trenches within 150 meters of the Finnish defenses, a general adoption of General Brusilov's preparation from his offensive in 1916. These were mostly completed by mid-January 1940. With respect to artillery, Tymoshenko took the decision of where the artillery was deployed, how it was to be used, and who it targeted out of the hands of Red Army High Command. Grigory Kulik, that half-drunk round ball stuck in 1917 and member of Stalin's inner circle, had control over the artillery at the beginning of the invasion. Tremoshenko tried to decentralize decision-making while recognizing the battle plan. Tremoshenko's plan of the Wall of Fire needed about 50 artillery guns for every kilometer, another adoption of Brusilov. But for this new offensive to work, the Red Army's communication would need to improve. 
something Tomashenko pointed out as being the main cause, or at least a main cause, for the Red Army's performance, or lack thereof, in December. He told various subunit staffs participating in the new offensive that constant communication was essential and expected. He also expected better communication between the spearhead of his offensive and its shaft. Tomashenko most likely facilitated this by setting up the Northwest Front on the Karelian Isthmus, where news from that front could get to where it needed to faster than going all the way to Leningrad or, God forbid, Moscow. But just reforming the tangible elements of the army was not going to lead to the operational success on the Isthmus, though. And Tomashenko knew it. He had to rehabilitate the morale of the soldiery of that army while reforming its doctrine. Stating that the morale was poor would be understanding it gravely. We've talked about it so much in this series. It had been conscripted, shipped to the front, ill-equipped and ill-prepared, and therefore battered and bloodied by the Finnish army. As a result, military discipline was very low, and morale had devolved into a devil-may-care attitude when Tomoshenko took charge at Northwest Front. Tomoshenko boosts the poor morale, on top of all the tangible items we discuss, via a propaganda campaign centered on Russian nationalism and the Imperial Army. This, at first, seems anathema to the rhetoric of world revolution that international communism constantly employs. But it was effective in this case, and a necessary expedient, like giving glucose tablets to a diabetic with dangerously low blood sugar. In addition to the appeals to nationalism, a literate political officer was assigned to each unit to convey the new tactical doctrine because many of the soldiers were still illiterate. On top of this, the Red Army had to instill discipline somehow. The best way to do this was to co-opt the humor of subversive comics. The soldiers were more amendable to changes in field regulations and discipline in the form of comics and quick rhymes rather than lengthy legal documents. We have spent the past couple minutes basically describing Tomoshenko whipping the Red Army in Finland into shape, illustrated most aptly by that scene in Rocky IV where Rocky goes to Russia and trained in the old school way in the wilderness to prepare for Ivan Drago. Going from the intangible back to the tangible, the Red Army would also see itself roughly doubled in January and tripled by invasion's end. The number of Red Army divisions in January increased from 22 to 45 on active duty, peaking at 64 by March. According to the plan Shaposhikov drew up originally and approved by Stalin on February 3rd, the 7th and 13th armies were to attack all along the line, but eyeing breakthroughs near Soma or Volkosi Lake. According to Van Dyke, this was to be performed by 25 divisions, 17 artillery regiments, and eight armored brigades, totaling nearly 600,000 men, 2,000 tanks, and 3,000 guns. One-third of those guns were heavy ones. So think of like howitzers, and the rest of them are like mortars. On the Karelian Isthmus, this was at least 150,000 more than the entire invasion planned for in November back it when they thought they were going to get this done in 10 days. You will recall that Tamoshenko had 20 days to plan, 
double the time they thought it would take to invade Finland back in November. I, I have to keep bringing that up. Sorry. After those 20 days, the Northwest Front would not have to initiate its full offensive proper. No, the Supreme Soviet Council, <coughs> Stalin, <coughs> ordered the Northwest Front five smaller independent operations to demonstrate the capability of the Red Army to perform these breakthrough operations. On February 1st, 1940, each rifle division commander was given the authority to pick the near goals of that division and train the divisional soldiers in whatever way that commander thought right. The commander even would be allowed to review how the Red Army would perform in these combined arms tactics in action. Though Tymoshenko's confidence in eking out the deficiencies of the Red Army in Finland could not be described as high. But regardless of Tymoshenko's doubts, we will cover those demonstrations next time.